We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. This is me and Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Shortly, James, Elliot, and Paul will be discussing the routine 2 0 victory against that German side. Who were they called? Bayern Munich, that was it, on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, I only watched the first half at the time due to work. How life can allow work to get away with such important events, I don't know. But I finally managed to catch up. It was simply a sensational team performance. You can go from Peter Check and Goal. That is why you pay £10.9 million for a 33-year-old. Sensational. Kept us in the game at 0-0. Made some wonderful saves, both in the first and second half. Our defence. I mean, come on. They were playing against arguably the most informed striker in the world at the moment. He's been scoring goals for fun everywhere he's been. Not at the Emirates, though, because he's playing against Laurent Koscielny and Perma Asaka, who are wonderful centre-back. And they showed it. Our midfield... Francis Coquelin, Santi Cazorla, Massa Erzul used the ball really well on the break. And our attackers caused some massive problems on the break in that first, especially in that first half. There was a period from about 20 minutes to half time where if we won the ball back from them, we would zoom up the pitch and we caused them massive problems and we had good chances to score. It wasn't Theo's best game in front of goal, but his pace and his movement, his work rate was really, really good. And it was just, it was just a great, great performance. It was really important that we kept buying out because if they scored first, uh, the way they passed the ball, it would have been really difficult to get back into the game. But we kept him, kept it a clean sheet, brought on Giroud, bang, 1 0 from a set piece. A bit scruffy, but who cares? As long as it goes in and it went in. And then we kept we kept him out again. They couldn't get through us and we broke on him again. Hector Bellerin, wow. 
it's just a sensational play. It's just I can't remember at Arsenal or anywhere for that matter a more exciting player than a more exciting right back I should say than Hector Bellerin. He had a bit of a tough time against Douglas Costa. He's not the first player to um to have trouble dealing with Costa. He's been wonderful this season for Bayern Munich. But he grew into the game. And when it mattered at the end, made an interception from all, from so far away. Burned past his man and set up Ozil for the for the second goal. It was a it was a great night. A wonderful game. We've got some important games coming up. Everton coming up on the weekend. And um, we've got a chance in the Champions League again now. It's, it's going to be tough still. There's still a lot of work to do. But there's no better way to get back into it than a good victory against one of the best teams in the world. So I'm happy. I'm very happy. I could ramble all day about this. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hand you over to the guys. And I'll be back after the Everton game. And uh, enjoy the podcast. I know I will. See you then. sarcastic introduction takes leave of absence as Arsenal beat Bayern Munich at home causing me to actually want to celebrate the victory as opposed to saying something obnoxious this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast my name is Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner it really is an occasion that needs no uh, sardonic tone or or cynical introduction although I assure you we will interject some cynicism later in the pod but it was a famous night at the Emirates one that we haven't seen the likes of since arguably uh, the victory over Barcelona. You may remember that game as Arshavan, that one. Uh, Yeah, it was fantastic, and there's a lot to get to. So as usual, Paul and James are both here, uh, and we thank them for that. First, James, you can find him on Twitter, GoonerFanatic49. Hello, James. Good evening. Good evening, indeed. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at PausingInMyPants. As always, Paul, hello. Paul, hello. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. Yeah, and uh, there was much rejoicing. This was... The kind of performance we really had been waiting for um, against a big side. And this season, we're already seeing some. We beat Chelsea in the Community Shield. Some could say that was a big victory. We beat United at home. Now we've beaten Bayern at home. We did beat Spurs away, by the way. I know it was the the Milk Cup, the Capital One Cup, but still counts. Um, But this was a really special occasion, and and it came at a time when we absolutely needed it to. So I want to just quickly get to this first. James, who was your man of the match? Oh, straight off. Well, it's a funny game um, to pick him out of the match, given the type of performance was so team-oriented and defensive from large parts of it. Um, But the one player that really stood out for me, I think he's been superb this season and was exquisite on the night, was Nacho Monreal. His positioning throughout his... I mean, coming up against Thomas Muller, I mean, a player that we know... Um, we, you know, from his World Cup performances, I mean, you know, he's a he's a player that's excelled over the last couple of years, um, and he had him in his pocket all game, and you know, his we talked a little bit about it on the last part, uh, Paul especially, um, about how important he's been just from sort of distributing play, uh, moving forward, and just how solid he's been throughout the season. I thought that was exemplary in this game too. There was that little moment, and I, if I dare say, it was almost Urzelesque. I think it was around the 60th minute mark um, when he played that phenomenal flick touch. It was just exemplary of, of the kind of skill he, he possesses outside of just his um, d- defensive solidarity. But um, like I said, I mean, it was such a, a team dynamic performance that it, it wasn't really a game full of sort of individual moments. Um, but for me, I think it's also just. Um, sort of ties in as well with just how excellent he's been throughout the course of the season too. Absolutely. He's been fantastic for us. And 
He's he's a player that I think people were unsure about, and now he's arguably playing the best left back in in England. Um, Paul, what about you? Who did you have as the man? I know I know it was a fantastic team performance, but pick one. All right, I've got like four in mind, including Monreal. So that one's taken. Don't don't I'll do pick, your laundry list and I'm then not, pick one. I do, I'm going to do that hey, after you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't do the laundry list. That's James. I'm telling you, I have a laundry list. I don't even do laundry, different. so we've all got something in common. <laughs> That's why we do Skype. So I'm going to go for Bel- Bellerin because I think in a year or two's time, we will remember this game as the Bellerin game or as the Monreal and ben- Bellerin game. I just thought... Uh, uh, it's kind of reverse history because his best moment was at the end of the game and he got well roasted by um, uh, Costa in the first half, but to be honest, anybody would. Uh, Costa had 10 take-ons. I mean, that's just incredible as a stat, if if anybody ever looks at this shit, 10, of which nine were successful. And uh, I actually thought Bellerin still had a good first game, or good first half. Uh, his second half was exemplary in that signature moment at the end um, when we were already a goal up. But I think what that did to uh, the team, the morale, and making the old man happy on the sideline, uh, just superb. So, uh, I, uh, And I think he matches nicely with Monreal as kind of that pair. Um, and given how Bayern wanted to hurt us when we were so th- solid through the middle, it all came down to the wings in a way. So... Uh, I think Be- Bellerin and Monreal are a fitting pair. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing yours, Elliot. I, uh, but I, I bet I know who it is. I bet it's I, Czech. I bet you don't, actually. No. Are you, well, okay. it's funny, right? So Czech, Czech is the obvious one for me, and I have a whole segment of this pod that I want to devote to Czech. But I'm going to go with someone who, who wouldn't be on the list, I think, of the obvious choices. I think you hit two of the most important ones, obviously, and, and Czech, who we'll get to. I'm going to pick Paramurtisacker. And the reason is simply mm. that he's a guy that a lot of people want him to be out of the starting 11. They want Gabriel to replace him. His time has come. He, you know, he, he's coming for criticism, and some of it is deserved. But last night, and, and we're recording the day after the match, I felt that he showed real leadership, real composure. His positioning was always spot on. There was a ball played to the near post, I think, that Lewandowski was running onto, where he got a crucial foot in. Um, you know, they got him behind the back four occasionally, but it was more on Koscielny's side, the Murtisackers. And for a guy who's really been questioned as, is he still a first-choice center back? I thought he did everything he needed to in a game where concentration was paramount, and, and he really showed what makes him a special player. Positioning, leadership, concentration, professionalism. He had it all. Um, and while there were arguably better performances on the night, I don't know that there was a better performance from a player who needed a good performance to show that he's still got it. And he did. Um, hey, Elliot, can I add briefly on that? Because yeah. I think it's a great pick. Um, because there is no way Bayern didn't go into that game without targeting Mertesacker. They must have been laughing about Lewandowski going after Mertesacker. Mm-hmm. And yet it was basically never a factor. And I think it's a tribute to Mertesacker, but also Kishelny Mertesacker and the guys in front of them. But the fact that... He was never, ever exposed, tells you how well he played, how cleverly he played, because he wasn't really flashy, and yet they never got at him. 
You saw what it meant to him, too, when Ozil scored the goal that you knew was going to give us the victory. I think for the two German players in particular, it was a really meaningful game, and they really wanted to show what they had because they knew back home in Germany this was a game that was going to be watched, and they had a lot to prove, and I thought they both showed up. Um, All right, let's get to Petr Cech. And just quickly on that point, when you think of Ozil and what he went through the last time, he played Bayern and kind of the or at the Emirates and the humiliation and missing the penalty and how he got roasted in the German press. Now he never shows up for the big games. This was a freaking huge game for him, Mertesacker, and and this whole team. Um, so, so let's talk Czech for a minute, and and then I we're going to get to Paul's fetish uh, in a second. Don't worry, uh, that's Theo Walcott. If you were worried, it's not the ball gag, um, although that may be too. Um, James. <laughs> Check obviously, it's so hard because it'd be so easy to go down the path of discussing this in the context of not using Czech um, in in the other two Champions League games, obviously. But I, I think we saw just why we went out and got him. And I guess I'll put it to you like this. After seeing him now help us win crucial saves to help us win against Manchester United, crucial performance to help us beat Bayern Munich, is he the most impactful signing we've made among the three big ones, Ozil, Sanchez, and Czech. Has Czech been what was really missing? Leadership at the back to give you that platform? Because we've always been able to play going forward, but but do you see Czech being that crucial glue at the back that's been missing in years past in the big games? I, th- I think that's a very difficult question to answer given that each of those three players came in under such different uh, circumstances and added something very distinct to the side. I mean, I I, to- I mean I totally agree with the fact that I mean he's he's been absolutely massive for the side and he seems to be the most important um, piece to the puzzle. You know, if we can assume that uh, Giroud and Walt Walker are actually turning out slightly better as a as a duo than perhaps some of us had expected going into this season, um, but that's still to be determined. I, I mean, listen, in, in the context of it all, I think Urza still, for me, has to be the most impactful and biggest signing for the club just because of what that meant as a watershed moment for Arsenal Football Club when you look back at it um, and for Alexis Sanchez to follow and for Czech to come in. But to bring in Czech from a Mourinho's Chelsea, um, you know, such hated such a hated rival of, of I mean, of, of Arsenal Football Club as an entity... Uh, and such a, a calm, such a imposing figure, and in a position that we really, really struggled with. And even when we look back to Jens Lehmann, um, it's hard to imagine, given his type of character, to to come into a shit, you know, a fairly shaky Arsenal side and to really, um, you know, you, you needed that calm and that leadership. He had Jens had all of that around him, um, whereas. Check to a certain degree, he's you know he he's really had to come in and impose himself on on that Jesse, and he's brought a, a calm and a shortness about this side, um, and that's really seeped into the defence and the rest of the the team. When you look at our most recent defensive performances, the three clean sheets against uh, United, Watford, and um, and now Bayern Munich. So I mean he's he's a massive player, and and I think also just that um, the added bonus of 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 where he'd come from too. I mean it's. Uh, it's been a phenomenal signing for the club. There's no doubt about that. And it's just uh, it's just October, so yeah, hopefully I, this. I, I think my argument would simply be that we've always seen whoever plays for Arsenal Football Club up front gets chances and eventually will take chances. And while you know, there's 
debates that will rage about the quality of the attacking players we've had and have and what we need, you know we're going to create chances and, and have some opportunities to score. But at the back, I don't think we've had that figure that calms the back four and who you feel can keep you in a game or win you a game when you really need to. Um, you know, and I, won't I think, get a red card. Yeah, it won't, won't get sent off in the big moment. Won't make the howler of a mistake that you just can't afford to have. And check, he, he, he gives everybody that sense of calm. I also think we can't undersell the distribution element of his game. When he kicks long, when he throws, you know, when he holds it a little longer to calm everyone down versus a Chesney, for example, who could make brilliant saves but really put us under pressure a lot with his poor distribution. Um, I would say that we had the better chances in the first half and throughout the game, the, the good chances, the really good chances fell to us. But Czech had to make some really crucial saves. For you, Paul... Um, did Czech keep us in this match? Is is Czech getting maybe more credit than he deserves? Were the saves maybe more routine? Or is this exactly why you go out and get an experienced keeper because he makes himself big, he doesn't put a foot wrong? One thing that I thought was interesting is there were a couple saves he made where he just made, you know, the cliche, he made himself big, but he is a big keeper as opposed to Ospino, who's just a much more diminutive keeper. Were these routine saves looking routine because of his size and his positioning? Um, well, yeah, I think it does him a bit of a disservice. I, I did go through all the saves again, and most of them, the vast majority of them, he certainly should have made. Uh, but he made them safely, securely, uh, you know, passed them into safe areas, kept us all under control, and then he had a couple of really big saves. Um, kept us in the game well no more than Neuer kept them in the game so oh, of course absolutely you know, I, I just meant it more uh, from a standpoint uh, of you know was it was it Czech's brilliance or was it were these sort of more of the routine variety yeah and in a way I, I'm more pointing that at, at some of the articles that were written and some of the comments at the time by people who I don't think really understood what went on in that game of you know Czech saves Arsenal you know uh, Alan Brazil was going on about how, um, you know, every time he'd, he'd switch over, he'd see Bayern attacking us again. Well, you know, especially when you watch it a second time and you're no longer nervous, this, you could argue either way who was the more in control. Obviously, they were in control of possession. So, and I think that reflects very much on Czech and his game and his role in it. That, that calm that he provided... Uh, you know, for, for almost nine, for well into ninety percent of this game, our core defensive unit were largely in control of everything that went on around them, um, and so you can debate what control is, but uh, I think Czech was huge, um, and one of the really interesting. Uh, comparisons and battles with Czech versus Neuer, just as Bellerin versus Costa, Muller versus Monreal. Um, th those were the really uh, fascinating battles. And, you know, Czech held his own against Neuer. I mean, Neuer was brilliant, but yes. once again... A except for when he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And people say, oh, he never does that. Well, he's done it twice with us. Podolsky dispatched when we, we beat them 2-0 just like that, over the head of Neuer, completely flummoxed it. Um, so that's what you get with Neuer, brilliance and, uh, and the occasional fuck-up. And yeah, the uh, occasional Rick. Um, yeah. Uh, well, look, let, let's, let's do this. Let's talk about the attacking half of the pitch where there was some good stuff that was done. And just to piss 
Paul off. I'll turn this over to you, James. Um, Theo Walcott, incredible performance in threatening Bayern and making them worry with his pace and his movement and his strength and his positioning or disappointing performance in that he didn't deliver the final ball when he had opportunities on multiple occasions. Did you, did you love Theo's performance because it, it made them worry and, and created havoc or, or were you frustrated by it because his final ball needed to be better? Where did you fall on that? Oh, somewhere in between probably. Probably. Um, yeah, it's fair. Um, I, I thought Theo posed a very direct and exciting threat through um, through most of the game. I mean, he was constantly on the shoulder. They Guardiola had chosen Alaba as centre back to to try and deal with the problem, um, especially to be able to have that kind of recovery pace when we were on the um, counter. Um, so he clearly looked at Theo and thought, "Well, like you know, I've got to alter my my natural setup here." Um, in order to sort of uh, deal with the issue. And I don't think that in itself was able to um, to resolve it for him. We saw several occasions where Theo, who's got, you know, we don't really often credit him for how good his feet can be in, in tight situations. Um, there's still some sort of question mark for me as to his, his finishing selection. He sometimes wants to try and um, sort of inside of the foot it he loves um, to curl it to the, the far post when it's not on <laughs> right and and when he does he sometimes it, it's sort of just a pass to the goalkeeper if you know if you got a bit more whip on it um it might you, you'd feel like it would might more more often cause somewhat yeah. or pose somewhat more of a danger for he's uh, also not a put opposition. his foot through it kind of striker but that's that's all right for the most part although he did score that really uh incredible goal against west brom um, maybe in a, le- a sort of less sort of pr- pressure cooker environment, but uh, at the end of last season, so he, he, you know he, he can he can throttle that ball when he wants to. He just seems to, you know, in everything he does, including his beard, now he seems to want to try and emulate Thierry Henry. So, um, what'd you make of the header? I mean, gr- great save certainly, but maybe maybe should be expected to head that down into the ground. If I mean that's that's a striker's yeah, th- position there. Yeah, I think here's the thing. I think. Eight against most, you know, ninety percent of goalkeepers. That's probably a goal. He's probably done enough, but given that position, you know, he's got no one around him. He's six yards right in the middle of the goal. You'd expect him to at least, you know, head it down, head it a little wider, make it absolutely impossible for Neuer to get there. It's a phenomenal save, um, but Theo can do a little better there. And you know, for the for the other aspects of his game, is on the counter. He, you know, everything seems to be coming through from Alexis to Theo. He's pulling defenders wide. He, his final product wasn't always great, but um, and actually for the most part was slightly off, was slightly off for most of the match. But he was always seemed to be the danger man for us and was creating the majority of our chances. So he was certainly a threat. Yeah, I think you know the first thing you have to do to beat Bayern Munich is worry them. If you don't worry them and they get too comfortable and they settle into that passing game and they did settle into it, they had over you know seventy two percent possession or whatever it was. But they have to be a little worried. You have to give them that nervousness at the back. And I think we were in that game at halftime. You know, I, I think it's fair to say Bayern had more of the play, but we had more of the threat. And a lot of that was down to Theo. And that puts that doubt, that seed of doubt in their mind. And it starts there. It starts with a few chances. You know, the most disappointing thing about our game at home against Bayern the last time we played them was the missed penalty, right? Because after that, we never really looked like challenging them. But we had put that doubt into them in the first 10, 15 minutes of that match too. In this match, we were able to build off that platform, whereas in that match, we sort of wilted. Um, and a lot of that, I think, was down to our defensive performance in check. So, Paul, without dropping your 
uh, pants down around your ankles. What did you make of, of Theo's overall play? And again, like James, do you fall on the side of the argument that he let himself and the team down with his final ball or that his general threat was sort of the, the beginning of creating that, as I talked about, that seed of doubt for Bayern? Yeah, his finishing was poor, um, for sure. It was a bit lame, to be honest, uh, which was disappointing. I have a lot of sympathy for him, the, for him on the header. I mean, even he was peeling away to celebrate it, and I think fairly, fairly so. He could have done better, but you've got to choose between power placement and pointing it down, especially when you're not a natural. I mean, he's probably faced three headers in the six-yard box in his entire career as a striker. So... Um, uh, that was probably his best finish, if you ask me. And if you look at Giroud's header, uh, Theo probably did a lot better on his goal than his non-goal than uh, Giroud did on his. But overall, I think the way I'd look at it is the Theo-Giroud tag team, the way we do it at, at the moment, works. We had the Theo thing works. Um, we did have the more dangerous chances. They had more shots, but we had more shots in the box. We had more shots on target. There were less uh, defenders on our shots because we were counterattacking. It just works. And it has, ever since he started striker, whether he's had a great ta- game or not, I think, you know, uh, I think most people see it now. But I don't think we should get overly hung up in any one game about, because this is Theo, right? It, 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 this isn't new to us. We always knew he can be very clinical and he can miss a bunch of easy chances, true of most strikers, certainly very true of Theo. And I think you, in, on a day like that, you don't get too hung up on it because you throw the baby out with the bathwater. This worked for us overall, as much mm-hmm. because of the other players, but it sets up the platform for us to play the way we did. I have to admit, intellectually, it seems backwards. To me, it seems like a Giroud should start, hold up play, let you build play, keep things safe by having... Uh, defensive protection on set pieces and good set piece threat early in the game. And then after the teams have run around for a bit and they've been on the pitch for an hour and the mental focus maybe drops a little bit, you bring on the jet-heeled striker who's always trying to run in behind and take advantage of tired minds and tired legs. We do it the other way and it works. And the full credit to Giroud is I've always said, I don't hate Giroud. I just don't think he's good enough to be the number one first choice for Arsenal. And as the backup or substitute striker, he's making a real contribution and, and looking like a guy who's okay with that role for right now. All the pressure in the world isn't on his shoulders. And maybe he's a guy who's better when he, he doesn't have the expectation of leading the line for Arsenal Football Club every game, game in, game out. Whereas Theo Walcott, I'm not saying he's been a world beater, is the type of guy who just seems to, to believe in himself enough that he has no problem with those expectations of that pressure. Um Another guy who obviously has no problem with expectation or pressure is Alexis Sanchez. But, James, this was sort of an uneven performance for him. And I think where he really struggled, obviously, was when he picked the ball up in his own half. Is this just a case of you're always going to get turnovers with Alexis, and he's not a guy you want collecting the ball and picking it up deep against a press? Um, Were you frustrated by him, or is this just a byproduct of his game generally? Yeah, I mean, I think you put it pretty well. I think it... It it comes as part and parcel of his game. He likes to always do that heavy sort of cut back as players are sort of chasing back to to press him and um, sort of cut back towards our own goal, which most of the time sort of retains possession, gives him that little bit of space, and then he can play his crossfield pass. Or he often looks to play the ball back in centrally. And 
every now and then and there were there were two occasions in particular in this game that um it nearly uh, was our undoing um that being said you don't want you don't want to take away that part of his game because that it's it's clearly to me it's clearly uh it's a component of um his sort of confidence his his willingness to always um to always take on players so he's always he, he likes to come deep to 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 take the ball and start off a lot of our attacks and in fact i thought one of the surprises for me was just was how regularly um, our counterattacks often stemmed from Alexi coming uh, a little bit sh- deeper to find that space and then um, yeah. charge charge on against uh, their strikers and their defenders. Sorry, and, and look for the Theo or the Urzel. I think that was uh, very much the case for that sort of uh, that first chance we created through Mezit. Um So yeah, I mean, I think you know th- there are some games where he actually he, he, he can be super efficient with that. Perhaps in games where we dominate the. Pos- possession and he's not in that situation quite as much as he was against Bayern so statistically speaking there were going to be a couple of occasions where it, it didn't go quite right um, but I think if you you know if you if you harp too much on about that and try and remove that from him perhaps that takes away some of his qualities going forward too so of course um, I, I, I think in an ideal world kind of was... you would you wouldn't want him collecting the ball deep in your half right I mean that's that's, I mean, you want him helping and contributing defensively, but in an ideal world, you don't want him trying to dribble out of press 25 yards from your goal. Um, I think also against the Guardiola press, just in general, because the way Guardiola does it is, for the first three seconds that you lose possession, you run like mad to get it back. And so you know they're going to hunt in packs. You can't really dribble your way out of the Guardiola press. You, you make a quick cross-field pass or a quick pass to change the direction of play so that the charging players who are pressing you don't have time to reposition themselves. And too often, Ramsey was guilty of this too. We tried to dribble our way out of the press. It, it really makes you appreciate the magic that is Santi Cazorla because he was the one guy that really was able to dribble his way out of trouble. Um, and and ultimately, other than getting caught in possession, they didn't really hurt us. And it looked like the one area where we could get into trouble was being caught in possession. Um, so, Paul, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quick second on, on Alexis. I mean, you 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 think maybe he's also just a, still a little bit knackered? I mean, playing so much, yeah. You know, so much of his game is based on the energy that he can that he's able to contribute. Yeah, I mean, uh, Wenger said something about it, almost like it's not right. He listed off the games he's played recently. Uh, I don't know who he's complaining to, possibly Chile, as he listed those two games. But he says it's not right with the tone of it's not fair. And basically said he's knackered, so I'm kind of wondering how they get him rested. Do they have enough time? Bef- Does he call that a rest before the weekend? I mean, I think a lot of our guys, th- the level of focus that that took to win that, I think is going to take a lot out of us, m- maybe as much as physically. Uh, it was really interesting looking at the running stats in general. Uh, Ramsey at halftime had run 10% more than any other player on the field, not surprisingly. Yeah, his, um, his hamstring went on strike as a, as a result of it. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. So, you know, physically it took a lot out of us. What I thought we did really well, when you see a team doing the pressing we had to do, if you do that for 90 minutes, you can't do it for 90 minutes. They would have got us after about 70 minutes. But the thing was, we whether uh, I'm no expert on pressing, but it seemed like we pressed high up at times, then we dropped off. Then we stayed contained. We conserved our energy. We kind of uh, rode the wave. Then we'd press a bit more. 
it seemed to me we got it right. It seemed to me we did it very intelligently. Again, I'm no expert on these things. No, that, that was something that we, I wanted to ask you about. Is is was? Do yeah. you think it was by design that we had designed certain situations to press and certain situations to drop deep? Because it looked like we were constantly balancing between those two approaches. We didn't press them in midfield. We'd either press them when their back four players, their defensive players, had it in their half, or we'd drop deep into a shell. Yeah, I mean. Uh, What was clear, both um, Wenger and Guardiola said, we came to to attack, to be proactive, to go forward. Uh, Wenger then talked about how pressing high up was working, uh, but when they kind of forced us into that middle space, in other words, when their pressing was maybe, or their, their game was a little stronger than us, we were getting caught out, so he dropped back. And from there, I just think we used intelligence because you would see them looking to each other about when they were going to press going forward. Um, so I think we kind of ebbed and flowed. There were times where it looked like we were maybe inviting too much pressure on. Um, and one way or another, kind of those periods of five or ten minutes would pass and then we get in a couple of counterattacks towards the end of the first half and kind of the, the energy levels switched and the pressing the pressing levels went up. Um, you know, maybe sometimes you can't force it too much. You, you get too far ahead of what you're actually able to support within your team because we had to keep our lines very close together as well. Cockle and Cazorla for a little while seemed to get a little separated from our back four. Um, and create some gaps. So they had to pull back a little bit. That pulls the, the front line back a little bit. Uh, Ozo was pressing, and then it seemed like they decided Ozo was a, a safer bet to have in the the f- in the, four, the two banks of four, and Alexis went up and pushed with, with Walcott. So it seemed like it continually evolved for that first 70 minutes before uh, Giroud came on. So not enough of an expert to say how much was organic and how much was planned. I think they went with the flow. They they pushed forward as much as they could, which for a lot of it, pressing-wise, was not very much. When they could, they did. Yeah, I, I think that's about, about right. And, James, the second half was really enjoyable, I thought. I don't feel we were under that much threat. We got the goals. We looked comfortable. Um, in general, I, I really enjoyed the game. I mean... You never enjoy playing these these Guardiola teams that much because they have so much possession. It's not mm-hmm. a ton of fun to watch your team without possession, but I actually enjoyed watching us move and shift and stay focused and concentrate and pick our spots. Tactically, did you see anything um, unique to the way we approached this, or was this just a case of Bayern imposed themselves on the game like they do, and we handled it well and picked our spots to counter? Well, I mean, I, I really like the point Paul was making earlier about us being in control but without the ball. I think it hasn't been uncommon for us recently to see that, that form of tactic imposed. And I think I will, I, I'll just say this really quickly, James. There was an article, and I can't remember. I think it was Football 365, and it was kind of snide. So I know everyone would get upset hearing this. But I thought they made a kind of funny point where they said if anyone should be an expert at knowing how to deal with sterile domination, sitting deep, and playing on the counter, it's Arsenal because they've, they've been a part of that game on the other side so often. I mean, was this really a little bit of role reversal to some extent? Yeah, but I don't think it's it's all that new over the last year. I mean, I, th- I was going to say the watershed moment for most of like us looking at this side when you know Arsenal has been berated by for a long, long time about not adapting to tactics, always just focusing on 
on our team's game, regardless or irrespective of the opposition, always looking to attack, always looking to dominate the ball. Um, and I think that was thrown up in the air somewhat against Man City. And we've seen that even against, you know, when we beat Aston Villa 5-0 at the Emirates um, last season, I, we we had less than 50% of the ball. We saw our willingness to see possession recently against United at home. Um, we saw even going to Watford at times how um, willing we were to not just have to dominate the possession, but to focus on the defensive solidarity, focus on our structure. A player like Coughlin and the... Um, the partnership between him and Cazorla, the way that's formulated, there's just a, a much more concerted confidence in the way in which we can um, that we can sit a little deeper at times and, and really restrict the space of the opposition and then use the, the likes of your Alexi, the Theo growing into the role when Alex comes on, even Ramsey, etc. And, and really punish teams on the break. And it's, it's, not, just a, it's not just a facet of um, constantly looking at creating chances purely on the turnover because we've also got the ability with, with like Santi Gazzola on the tr- transition I think as we're beginning to see even with Kokkainen's ability on the ball um, Mezzo these are all you know we, we have a, a, a team now that's so much more capable of adapting to game types and game situations than we had seen in the past and that's where you really see the quality in these players that's when you really look to a side that has the ability to really progress because once you build that solid foundation and once you have a team that can do both that can they can look at a team and and really take them on in the first half an hour a weaker team and and just and punish them and, um, and, and attack from the first minute and then you can play bigger teams like a Bayern and, and be willing to, to sit off and, and then punish them on the break. That's when you um, that, that's when you can really start to grow in confidence in the side. And I think that's what we're starting to see. I think that's a re- that's for me one of the first really positive signs. Um, and yeah, I think as you guys were mentioning that capability of I don't know just how planned and how formulated this idea of, of pressing every now and then and then um, knowing when to um, concede a lot of space in in, in Bayern's own half but making it very congested at, um, at the back was but it there did seem to be some form of pattern that formulated over the, the course of the game and perhaps some of that was you know keeping Bayern on their toes not over exhausting ourselves by, by pressing from the first minute to the last um, and then naturally sort of having to see the various spaces that you um, that, especially against a side like Bayern that you're likely to um, as you start to tire, so yeah, I, you know, I feel really, really positive about. There just seems to be a, a cognizance and a knowledge that's growing now. I mean, we've had a lot of stability in the starting eleven that we've um, been able to put out since the start of the season, um, and there seems to now be a, a genuine confidence in the way in which we want to approach games. Um, certainly, when you look at these last three games, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come. It was a performance that I thought showed some quality but it it showed maturity focus concentration energy defensive awareness you know all the things that you have to have to win big trophies that have been called into question and it's another big game that we've won this season and and if there's anything that the team and and the manager have been knocked for and and by me in particular it's failing to deliver us these big exciting moments um i said at the beginning of the podcast that this may have been the first of these kind of memories I I can think of since Arshavin scored the winner against Barcelona 
Um, and it really was great to have a moment like this back again. And I think that Barcelona team was the best in the world at the time. And I think this Bayern Munich team is currently the best in the world at the time. Paul, the, the goals, um, I wouldn't necessarily call them classics. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call the first one a classic, but so happy for Giroud to, to see him be able to contribute in this role. Um, for you, is Giroud scoring goals off the bench one of those things that is not not just obviously important in the game, but important in our season because the form he was in was so low. How important do you think this is for him as a confidence player for the team for him to get what proves to be a winning goal in a big match? Well, this is huge because he's got other goals off the bench, but if you go back and look at them, some of them are a bit kind of not to be, you know, not to, not to put it down, but some of them were pretty soft goals. Um this, uh, it, it, it wasn't a very good header, but he changed the game when he came on. He, first thing he did was uh, he got us some relief, uh, a long ball upfield to Giroud. He won it. He got fouled. Uh, we got some possession. We took some pressure off. We were about to take a short ball, apparently, and Harrison said, fuck that for a game of soldiers. We're here to win this. So he sends the boys up. He sends up Mertesacker. He sends up Per. Uh, they put the ball in. Um, to Giroud's credit, he gets to it before his man does and bundles it in. We don't really care, but he did change the momentum of the game. It didn't, you know, to be f- unfair to Theo, maybe, it didn't feel like Theo was going to score this game. Maybe somebody else would because Theo was on the field, but didn't feel like he was going to this time around. And Giroud really changed it. So I think this is going to be freaking huge for him because, A, this was Bayern. B, he is a hero. I'll I tell you one of the things I loved in this game. I mean, there was some talk about the crowd being quiet. I thought that was harsh because, you know, this isn't the yellow wall of, of BVB. This isn't how we do it. Um, I, I thought there was tremendous support for anything our team did. A tackle, uh, some hustle, anything. All through that game, um, to be fair, we didn't have the ball very much, so... It's, it's hard to be loud and, and singing and screaming when for 10 minutes in a row you may not even have the ball. So I totally agree with you. I think the, yeah. the and support f- for was there every, when yeah. something happened. Yeah. yeah, and that goal, I mean, they went apeshit. The slide was superb, especially compared to Ozil's rather sick, lame, <laughs> I don't like to try too hard slide, slide. The crowd went berserk, and the ovation Giroud got, I mean, whatever about what we're talking about, he could live off that ovation. The way his name was sung by the crowd was just supreme. I mean, it was just a glorious mo- moment, and then Byron looked deflated at that point. Um, and uh, I look forward to our discussion on the second goal, because th- that's a peach from so many angles as well, including <laughs> yeah. the aftermath. I mean, it's just great. Everything about that was great. I, you know, I think I look at it this way. If we're going to win anything this season, we're going to need contribution from Olivier Giroud. And while he's not my cup of tea as, as a first choice, he is an important player for this club, and he has to score goals. And after the red card against Zagreb and the loss out there and the way he looked and the form he was in, I really felt like his Arsenal career was kind of on a hiding to nothing, was kind of drifting away. And now he's he's kicked on he's he's contributed goals off the bench and now he gets the go-ahead goal in a very important game against the best club in the world and and no it wasn't a vintage goal anyone will you know uh, put in a museum but if this can get him right back into contention as a starting option great but 
even if all it does is means that he he comes on and feels he can change every game he's a part of, that's going to be so important for us. Um, and I, I think it, it just is a good omen to see Giroud playing with a little more confidence. I, I do think he tends to be a bit of a confidence player, and he was so low after Zagreb and in, in around that time frame that this this could really be what, what he needs to kick on. And we know when he gets in a purple patch, he can score goals in bunches as well as anybody in the entire league. Um, I think we're, we got to get to the Ramsey injury. We will get to that. So, James, I know you want to discuss that. If we can just hold off on that for one second, I just want to talk about the second goal. Um, for you, more happy player on that goal. Bellerin for his incredible contribution. Ozil for scoring it. Or Oxlade Chamberlain for being let off the hook for missing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think Alex came so he came anywhere near. Uh, I don't think he didn't even look like he joined in the celebrations. He was silly gasped with himself having missed it, given <laughs> it. Um, he thought the play it was the ball was still in play as, as we all did. Um, it, I mean, in that sense, the goal was almost somewhat anticlimactic. I, I, the commentators, I myself. And no bloody hell, uh, no idea what the hell was going on for uh, for a good couple of minutes. Um, By the way, that that's kind of me all day, every day. So you know, now, <laughs> now you know what it's like to just be me walking around the earth. It, it was no kind of delicious, though. I'll, I'll give it back to you, James. But uh, I gotta say, it was kind of delicious. How kind of it wasn't quite anticlimactic. It was just kind of confusion reigned as it suddenly dawned on more and more people, players. You know what had gone on. The big grin on Alex's uh, Alex's face. You still can't work out at what point he finally realized we'd scored. The pile over by the sideline. I thought they were celebrating the game was over, and then you realize it's a goal. Right. I mean, there were just so many. It was a beautiful unraveling of a moment. What made it oh, special yeah. if you're watching on TV is that th- the ball goes out of play. They zoom in on Oxlade Chamberlain. The commentators are discussing it as a huge missed opportunity, and you hear a roar from the crowd who is watching uh, Ozil celebrate. So watching it on TV, you don't know what's being celebrated. You don't know if it's a fight. You don't know you know, what what's going on. And then they zoom out, and you see that Ozil has done that pathetic knee slide and figured it out from there. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it added a fantastic emotion to it. Don't, I mean, it was just the, the initial sort of the, the initial 10, 15 seconds of, you know, Ozil actually scoring and, and then, like, genuinely thinking Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain had, had missed what was a, a, an absolute sitter uh, to tie up the game. That, you know, there was this, this sort of heart-wrenching moment for a little while and then that almost added to the euphoria, um, sort of going from what felt like an idea to the, to the, the, the sort of zenith sensation um, of the knowledge that we'd secured the three points. I mean... It was just, you know, for Bell, you know, that really encapsulated what you know Bellerin's all about. I mean, he's so quick, so energetic, and to have that in the ninety-fourth minute of a game where he's been up against Douglas Costa or oh, um, to be young again, <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed. Um, and I mean, he had a, whoever it was was the left back, and you know, a good several yards on Bellerin when he when when that chase first began, and I mean, he was so quick to really has that. Um, quickness of thought to look up and, and pick out Ozil and you know he, he single-handedly made that goal from the interception to the cross and you know, Ozil almost contrived to actually um, to not score because he, yeah, he again you know he could really have just sort of buried it in the in the corner and not given Neuer a chance but I mean ultimately we scored at 2-0 and what a fantastic moment for Mesut I mean you know as Paul talked about the there was there's an added impetus to this game for him and Per. And so to score the 
you know, the ceiling goal uh, was just, you know, it was phenomenal for all of us. You could hear hear it in the crowd. You could see it in his emotion. You know, I think he posted something on Twitter like, um, you know, shouting may not be good for the for your voice, but um, you know, it, it it can be good for your heart. And so he's yeah, still. Hey, Mesa doesn't, doesn't knee slide for any old goal, I can tell you. I mean, he normally kind of does a little jog back and a little bit of a fist yeah, with his little, with his and little a half M. a smile. His M.O. Yeah, his M.O., M-O. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Which so, he did manage to fit in, by the way. He, yeah, uh, well, of course. Right I at mean, the end, of course. It's gonna, you know, he's got to trademark that like Bale tried to do with the heart symbol. Um, uh, Paul, as far as the second half, I mean, there, there was obviously the low moment, which is Ramsey... Uh, pop in the hamstring, and the early word was that it looked pretty bad. Um, what did you make of Oxley Chamberlain's cameo covering for him? And maybe just a quick word on what you think this means for us going forward in terms of how we'll cope with it. I think Ox did well. I think uh, um, Alexis took over the duties of giving dangerous balls away in front of the back four, lightening the load load for Ox this time round. Yeah, that takes one so, thing off uh, his plate. That's good. Yeah. It does, yeah. I have a bit of sympathy for him on the shot he missed because it was looping, it was hanging, it was just maybe a teensy bit behind him. You know, all these you can't miss kind of shots, as I always say, you really can miss them. Um, so a little bit of sympathy for him on that, but he still should have buried it. Uh, I thought overall he did good. I thought he brought a lot of energy um, I think with I think it was a good addition with Giroud, Giroud for hold up, but uh, Alexis to run past, or sorry, Alex to run past. Uh, I think he did some good covering. I think he stayed focused, as a, he didn't have that that many touches, even though he was actually on for thirty five minutes. I think, uh, you know, this is his big chance now. Uh, he's had a lot of twenty minutes off the bench. Uh, he's been in a bit of a funk, but I think. I, here's my hope. My hope is he looks at clear water ahead of himself, knows he's going to get a whole bunch of games, and this suddenly lights a fire under him, uh, and he really takes it to the next level. I think he's been very in, unlucky in some of the things we've had the opportunity to criticize him on. Not that he he didn't deserve the criticism, but you know sometimes the shit just keeps falling your way, and I think there's been some of that. Uh, at least that's what I'm hoping. So. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm such ho- bad timing. I, I am hopeful. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it only is. because Ramsey had just opened his account um, in the league. He, you know, he's do- so full of running, and and this formation and this settled first eleven had had really started to to obviously hit stride. But we know that winning titles and trophies is about how your squad performs, and and this is going to be the first real test of that this season, James. Maybe a little bit on what you thought of Oxley Chamberlain's contribution, and do you think it will be Oxley Chamberlain who just slots in, or do you think the manager will be tempted to maybe go with Giroud and Theo together, or some other solution? Um, I thought it was a, a bright cameo. I think we've always seen when Alex comes on, he always um, poses a threat. It's uh, he, the game is more settled, um, and given his high energy, his, his willingness to take on players, he's. Um, he's always exciting to watch in those spurts, for sure. Um, the one thing we've talked a lot about is um, if right now he has the c- capacity to um, put in a performance over the full 90 minutes or 70-odd or minutes. In both, um, in both halves of the pitch, that's really oh, the key. Well, absolutely. Um, and I'm still of the opinion that 
now as the team is growing, and that will, of course, this result will be a massive confidence boost. I think he's a player that can really shine when the rest of the team is really in, um, is sort of hitting close to top gear. Um, I think just because of the way his confidence lies, and if he can be a part of a team that's that, that's that's on a run, and he can be a part of a, an eleven that gets a couple of, of decent wins, I think that that could really be what sort of clicks him into. Um, sort of gaining that, that momentum and, and really beginning to see what it's all about because I, I really do believe in his talent and we've seen with players sometimes you know Bellerin needed the, the Dortmund away in a couple of tough games and but he, you know, he's a bit of an exception because he's pretty much taken to it um, like a duck to water so quickly um, that being said the, the interesting thing for me is I know that the, the rave for the listeners was to ask whether we thought, you know, Walcott, Alexis Sanchez and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain would be an exciting front three, um, especially when we were discussing whether Ramsey was really suited to the right wing role. I'm, I, I fear a little bit for that front three. I just, I think there's just a little too much similarity amongst the three of them. Yes, well, what you lose, you, you lose that, that player that can come into midfield and create those triangles in that possession game. What Ramsey would do is he would actually join up right. with Cazorla and Ozil because we know that Coughlin, for all the things he does well, is not going to be part of that sort of possession passing game. Now, you know, that's not really Oxley chamberlains game. He's more naturally going to stay wide and dribble and run at people. And do you have too much similarity with Al- Alex on one side and Alexis on the other who both kind of want to do the same thing? Exactly. I mean... Ramsey loves to sort of drift and find spaces. Paul often sort of uh, creates the analogy with that of Thomas Muller. Um, he's, you know, it, the way in which he defends, the way he likes to come and pick up the ball deep centrally as well. He, he, he's got that kind of free, free role. Um, Alex is not necessarily a traditional winger, but he likes to play um, a, a more sort of natural right wing forward role. I'm not sure if the three of them necessarily... It sounds great for, like, FIFA purposes. You know, that's, that's great. That's you know, such that's a good a, point. That's, that's such a good point. You know, like, if we want to play FIFA, that's that's the lineup I'm probably going that's with. That's what I use in FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> such a good point. Um, but I don't know. So, you know, with, with Giroud growing in form, I wonder if, if Arsene may now consider um, Giroud through the middle with, with Alex... Um, or maybe Theo on the right and and Alexi. So I don't know if that, it, I you know, Arsene clearly likes Alex a lot, um, and I think he'll definitely play him out on the right. And I wonder if that actually gives Giroud a path into maybe getting back into that starting role in order to create somewhat more balance from the front three. But I, it, it's a tough one to yeah. go. I I really liked the way this eleven was shaping up. Um, well, we, we, look, we knew that injuries blow. would hit and that how we how we cope with them is as much a part of the season as being great with your settled first 11, right? right. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I do think that uh, it's it's going to be really a challenge for Oxlade Chamberlain. But it, at, on the one hand, look at how well it's it's fallen for him. I mean, Wilshire, Welbeck, Ramsey, all players who arguably be in line for that position ahead of him, all out. For an extended period, it gives him a nice, clean, clear path to playing a lot. And if he, if there's a player who has the talent to make a leap in our squad, it's Oxley Chamberlain. There may not be another player in our squad who is underachieving his potential right now more than Oxley Chamberlain in the sense of what he has the ability to be versus what he's produced so far. And if this run of games gives him the space to achieve more of his potential, 
then it could be a blessing in disguise because he has so much of it. And obviously, it'd be a huge blessing for um, James's bank account because it will help the bet he has with me about Oxlade Chamberlain starts. Well, uh, indeed. Let's wrap up on the game and get to what it means. I, I think it's such a huge win. It is so wonderful. It, it feels great to get these big wins. These are the ones you look back on at the end of the season and celebrate. But, and there's always got to be a but with me. I'm sitting on it presently. Um, it's, it's a game we won while we're sitting bottom of a group where we should be talking about this giving us a path to topping the group. So, Paul, I'll give you two quick questions to answer. One is there any part of this that's dulled for you at all by our position in the group going into it? By Does it make it more frustrating for you what happened in the first two games? And two, give me your scenario on what you think will happen the rest of the way in the group. Um, just the way I tend to look at these things, I'm not saying this is right. Uh, you know, I kind of give up what's already happened. This game would not have gone the way it did had the previous results been different. I'm not saying we wouldn't have won. I'm not saying we shouldn't have won. I'm not saying... There's a lot of things I'm not saying. I'm just saying it wouldn't have gone down like this. Last night was one of those special nights. Uh, You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. That's probably the wrong expression. You don't look a a horse with two legs in the mouth, I guess, because it's it's not a... I think you need to move on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. But last <laughs> night was a gift horse, and it was just a special, special night. And if we'd taken a different route to getting here with the first two games, you know, I- if I could wave a magic wand, I'd take different results on those first two games. I can't. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, it is what it is. Last night was a special night, and it wouldn't have been like that had here's the different events conspired. Here's the best way I can put that, James. Uh, James Paul is... Uh, I recorded that game, and this summer when there's no Arsenal to watch, that'll be one of the recordings I'll bring up and watch again. You know what I mean? And I won't watch it thinking, oh, this was the game where we were bottom of the group. I'll just love watching yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so, all right, I, I get that. It didn't dull the enjoyment for you at all, which is great. It means you're a happy, healthy person. Uh, but aside from being a happy, healthy person, what do you see transpiring for the rest of the group? I don't really know. I think uh, when we last talked, I said I thought we'd a reasonable shot at this. I think I said our odds were one in three, uh, equal with the other boys. Now I'd say it's 50-50 with us and Olympiacos. Uh, you know, that's as good as you can say at this point. We've a lot of work to do. We, we could do with the result at the Allianz Arena, and we need to win those two other games. So uh, it'll be a... Cr- Look at it another way. When you, I mean, we we follow football for the fashion, for the fashion, for the passion and the I excitement. Know I do. <laughs> yeah, I know I do. Uh, for the shirts, it's the shirts. No, but you know, we out of all of this drama, we got this game. We're going to have another crunch match at the Allianz, and those could have been much lamer matches. Um, I mean, they always would have been exciting, but not this exciting. And then we're going to have that final Olympiakos. Uh, game, which should have been kind of a dead rummer, uh, rubber. I'm, I'm on a roll here, uh, and <laughs> is now going to be an absolute cracker. So, you know, s- sometimes you just take what 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 it gives you. This could be a really exciting group stage, as opposed to waiting to get knocked out in the round of 64, 32, 16, 8, whatever. I think your mouth is still stuck in that two-footed horse, two-legged horse. <laughs> you're talking about. Um, 
Uh, James, same same question for you. Any regret or feeling at full time affected or impacted by our standing in the group and what had come before, and what do you think happens the rest of the way in the group? No, I mean, all that regret was felt following the first and second game. I, I think those defeats probably added even more excitement to this game and added even more like impact and um, emotion to the victory just because of how necessary it was against such a big side. So there was just that added amount of pressure, which um, I think added to the euphoria as a whole. Um, with regards to the group, I don't know. I I don't know if it, it's irrational or illogic and, uh, or illogical. And I think, I mean, I wasn't on the, the last Champions League podcast, but I don't know. I've, I've kind of felt is that I, for whatever reason, I, uh, I haven't really thought it out fully in my head. I just think we're going to go through. I just feel like we, it's something we, we kind of do. Um, I guess if I were to play it out in my head, I would still put money on us beating Dynamo and Olympiacos, given that we're going to have to. Um, and who knows? Maybe we, maybe we get a point at the Allianz. I don't, but you know, even if we don't, we can go to Olympiacos. And I think assuming they beat Dynamo again um, and win by two. Um, yeah, I, you know, you look back to the Invincible team, for example, and I think they had one point after three games uh, and then beat Inter Milan 5-1, and they still did it. Uh, and I just think there's something about this team that uh, that will get us out of this group stage, and well, maybe that's just absolute bloody madness, but I don't think, I don't think our chances are. So I would say this. My answer to that question is is two things. None of my euphoria for the win was impacted by what had happened in the group or happened before. I have to admit, about an hour later, I thought about it, and I was like, gosh, you know what? We could be talking about top in this group right now instead of can we get out of it. That's such a shame. I think it didn't uh, numb or dull any of my excitement or joy over the win. It may have slightly increased my frustration at, the bullets we put in our foot in the first two games because they were such self-inflicted wounds and they were so unnecessary. Um, And now that we see we can beat a Bayern Munich, we certainly, certainly should obviously be beating an Olympiacos. Um, I think for the rest of the group, it goes like this. I don't think we will get anything from our trip to Munich. I don't rule it out, of course. I think we will give them a very stern test and, and could get something, but I don't think we will. I think Olympiacos will comfortably handle Zagreb in Greece. I think Olympiacos will get thumped in Munich. What Zagreb does against Munich at that point will no longer matter. And I think we will beat Zagreb at the Emirates, leading to a situation where we go to Greece needing a two-goal win to qualify from the group, which, as you know, sets us up for the one-goal win and hashtag glorious failure. Um, I hope it doesn't go that way. But if we go to Greece needing a two-goal win, it will certainly set up for a very interesting Monaco-like occasion. The dream scenario, of course, is that Zagreb gets something from Olympiacos in Greece. I don't really see it. I think they are the poorest in the group. Or we get something in Munich. If we can get a point in Munich, then whatever happens, a win in Greece should be enough to see us go through, provided we do the business against Zagreb at home, which we will. So um, it's going to come down to the last game of the group in Greece. And either needing to win or needing to win by multiple goals, do we have the quality to do that? You bet we do. Um, so let's just 
cross our fingers. Maybe we can maybe we can get something in in Munich and and make our life easier. I will certainly say um, that the Europa League is not something we want to be a part of, given how well we're doing in the league and and the feeling that maybe we could do something in the league. Um, And so I would kind of like us to go through now. I will be the first to admit that I said we had absolutely zero chance of going through from this group, that we are out, period, out. Um, I predicated that on the fact that if we couldn't beat Olympiacos and Zagreb, we sure as heck weren't going to beat Munich, and we did. Um, And so that's fantastic. And look, it still may come down to needing a two-goal win in Greece. So I'm not going to go patting us on the back just yet, but at least uh, there's hope. And to dare is to, to hope is to do, or some stupid saying written on some shitty stadium somewhere. Um, anyway, that should wrap it up. We've hit just around the hour mark, which for us is practically brisk. Um, as always, it's a pleasure talking to these two fine, optimistic gentlemen. I even tried to stay upbeat, so I hope everybody can hear how upbeat I am. Uh, <laughs> my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And the two fine gentlemen who joined me today were Paul. He's on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, guys. That was fun, and a woohoo! Yeah, it was indeed very fun. And James is on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. James, thank you, as always. Cheers, guys. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Thoroughly enjoyable. And you know what? We've got Everton at the weekend. We will be coming back with another podcast after Everton at the weekend. And I tell you something, I I like our chances in that match, too. Let's keep the good times rolling. Uh, Until then, watch the game on repeat. Listen to all the podcasts, especially this one. If you can, leave us a really nice review on on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, Otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll talk to you at the weekend. Cheers.